You ever go into a restaurant and check out the health inspector score? There was a restaurant in my hometown, in Tifton, that was one of my favorite restaurants where we would eat. Jin Jin Chinese food. Actually, a specific one. It was Jin Jin number one. Jin Jin number two and Jin Jin number three were not as good as Jin Jin number one. But Jin Jin number one, in all the time that I can remember eating there, never posted a score higher than 75. That's usually a C. Many of my friends could not understand why I liked eating at Jin Jin Chinese food number one. Their, their lo mein was just better. Their, their beef and broccoli just had a different taste. I mean, they had the best spring rolls. But Jin Jin Chinese food number one did not have the greatest reputation in Tifton. Primarily because Jin Jin number one never really got a good grade from the health inspector. It was usually little things like, well, I'm not even going to tell you what all it was. But the things that dropped them lower on the score... I had a good friend that would ask me, why don't we go to the other Jin Jin? They usually get a 90 or higher. It didn't taste the same. It wasn't as good. See, for me, I could overlook the reputation because I knew what I was getting. But ultimately, what the fate of Jin Jin Chinese food number one that was on Love Avenue in Tifton, Georgia, was that it ultimately had to close. Because when the reputation goes bad for a restaurant, it is hard to recover. Your reputation actually matters a little bit, right? What about the reputation of a church? What is the value of reputation of a church? Now, I'm not talking about what your value of as a person in the church. What's your value of your reputation? Because you hear a lot of this talk and speech about your personal reputation. I'm talking about the reputation of the church. What is it that should characterize and develop the reputation of the church? And that's what Jesus addresses with the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're continuing in our, our, our series, The Triumph of Christ, as we walk through the book of Revelation. And Today we're going to talk about the dead church. That's probably not the title you want to be on your church. If somebody drives by and they see First Baptist Church of Fairburn, the dead church on the marquee out there, that's not really going to go over very well, right? So how do we look at Sardis and walk away without this being the moniker associated with us. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together, looking at these uh, uh, six short verses in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Remember, Jesus is writing and speaking to John, giving him these words to write. So it says this, 
To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you were alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments. And they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we look at your word. We look at the words of Christ Jesus spoken to a church many centuries ago. And Lord, if we are honest, we can look at these words and say that might be true of us even today. Lord, there is much of what you say in this passage that is true of, of the church at large in our nation today. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to heed your warning, to wake up. Because you were great and you were mighty and you were worthy. Lord, give us ears to hear this morning and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Man, Sardis, sleepy little town in Asia Minor, a sleepy little village that didn't have a whole lot going on. There was a nice little uh, textile industry in Sardis that was going, uh, going on at this day, but it was just a nice town, a place where you could live, and it was kind of like being just outside of the big city. It's like going down towards Greenville, Georgia, or somewhere down in Merriweather County, just kind of a different pace of life. You could just go about your business, and some people knew you, and some people didn't, and it wasn't the hustle and bustle and major of getting inside the perimeter and having to deal with everything in the city. It wasn't a bad place to live. But there was a church there. There was a church that had some things going on. But not everything was great. Some things were kind of off. So let's talk for a few minutes about what was wrong with Sardis. I mean, you, you've got a letter from Jesus and, and every one of these letters have started with the identifi- identification of Jesus and, and, and who this church is. And Jesus always talks a little bit about what's going on in the church. And then he comes with this but. But I know what's going on. I know what's really happening. And usually that's where the something's wrong comes in. It's like if you go to the doctor and they do the blood work and they give you that little cup to go in the bathroom with and... He takes your weight and takes your blood pressure. The doctor comes in and says, man, I tell you what, you've got good blood pressure and, and your eyes look nice and healthy. You don't have any jaundice going on. Your weight's right where it needs to be. But I found a lacking protein in your blood and we were going to have to explore and do a little bit more checking. And you're like, oh, what is that going to mean? He says, I'm going to need you to come back and, and have this test. And if this test shows something, you need to go to this specialist. And then that specialist is going to have you do this and go through all these tests. That's kind of what Jesus has got going on. I see what you got going on. But so what's wrong with 
Sardis. Jesus says that Sardis has a reputation of life. Notice with me, if you will, there in verse, verse 1. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Who is he talking about? He is identifying himself, Jesus Christ. The seven spirits of God. Seven is the, the, the number of completion and fullness. Hey, like, Let me just go ahead and dispel this. There are not seven spirits of God like you've got to go to this spirit or that spirit or that spirit. What Jesus is describing is the fullness of who God is rest on Christ Jesus. He's able to look with authority and speak fully to the situation at Sardis because he has the fullness of all that God is. That's what Paul tells us over in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ Jesus had equality with God but didn't consider that as something to be used for his own advantage. What Jesus is describing is that I know know how to address you because I am of God myself. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And because of that, I'm able to speak to your condition. I'm able to look into what's going on in your life. This is the fullness of God speaking through Christ Jesus to the church. Fully God, fully man. You have this. I know your deeds and in your deeds, you have a name that you are alive. See, everything that was going on in and around the church at Sardis demonstrated and showed that there was, there was, there was some vibrancy. Man, they had, their, they had their regular church meetings. They had their, uh, they had their quarterly church conferences. They had their, their Bible studies. They had all of these things that were happening there. They had a reputation of life. Maybe we could modernize it a little bit. They had a Facebook page. They had a Twitter account. They had a church website. They had greeters. They had ushers. They had Sunday Bible studies. They even sent quarterlies home for Sunday Bible study so that you could follow along at home with your Sunday school lesson. How about that? Man, they had a mission trip on the summer calendar. They had a children's event. They had a Bible school plan. They had everything going. See, all of these things we confuse for life within the church. Just because a church is busy doesn't mean a church is alive. Just because a church can fill up your calendar and everybody else's and run you ragged doesn't mean that there's something big going on that is going to shift and change your life dramatically. Sardis had a reputation that they were alive because people saw that there were cars. They didn't have cars. That there were horses tied up outside. That there were, there were donkeys in the parking lot. They had a reputation of life. But Jesus comes back and tells them that your reputation is false. Sardis had a false reputation. He says there to them directly, man, I, this, is, man this is hard words from Jesus. He, he doesn't pause and, and proclaim a lot of good things. Like even in, even in Pergamum and Thyatira, he's talking about how they've persevered and how they have faith and all this before he gets to the nasty stuff. With Sardis, it's like, you have a right, I know your deeds, I see what you're doing. I see the stuff. And you think you're alive, but you are dead. You are dead. And as a pastor, those are the words 
that I have to pause and stop and come back to this reevaluation of everything. And you're like, why, why do you have to do that? Because this church was dead but walking. They thought they were alive. And if it could have been true of that church and that pastor at that time, why could it not be true of me and us? Why could it not be true of the church in America at large that we've got all of these things that make it feel and look that we're alive, but Jesus is looking and says, that's not the reputation I have for you. It causes us all to pause and stop and wonder and ask the question, how did Sardis get to this position and how do we avoid it ourselves for the record I do not believe that our church is a dead church I have a lot of reasons why I could give you for that but it does also cause the question of are we keeping a vigilant eye on what is central and what is meaningful and what matters for life in the church because we can fill up your calendar if you've got if you've got time to spare I can help you fill it up just with what we've got printed on paper in my office. There are a thousand different ministries going on, not literally a thousand, but many different ministries and things going on in our church that could capitalize all of your time. But that does not necessarily equate to vibrancy and life. And so Jesus looks at this church and says, I look, I see it. I see your church calendar. I see your church Facebook page. You think you're alive. See what was wrong with Sardis? They had a false reputation. But Jesus says to them, wake up and strengthen the things that remain. So the good news for Sardis is that Jesus is looking beyond all of the mire and sees that there is still something, a core, something there in Sardis that represents life that could be rejuvenated. So he then gives Sardis a choice to fix, to correct, to change her reputation. Sardis had a choice to follow Christ. Notice he starts off with this strong command. He says to Sardis, wake up. Now the thing that you've got to see about this command is that Jesus gives it in a different sense than what you and I would say. Like if you go in, like this, uh, it didn't happen this morning because my kids woke themselves up. But a lot of mornings you had to go in the kids' room to wake them up. You're like, all right, get up, wake up, get out of bed. You, you're, you're asking them to do something for themselves, to get up out of the bed themselves, to walk and get themselves uh, uh, down the stairs or down to the kitchen to get breakfast. And you're asking them to do that. Jesus puts it this way, be awakened. 
allow me, Christ Jesus, to come to you to give you what you need so that you can be alive and awake and vibrant again. A church cannot wake itself up. It can only be awakened by coming to faith again in Christ Jesus. And let me, let me clarify what I mean by that. It's not that you lost faith. It's that you lost the vibrancy of your faith. Where David says in Psalm 51, restore to me the missing joy of my salvation. He comes to him and says, you've got a choice. You can either keep going through all the much, you keep building up your schedule, or you can allow me to give you the life that you need to make you the vibrant, shining pillar in your community that I called you to be. Sardis had a choice. That's the thing about commands. Jesus says, awake. Jesus says, strengthen what remains. But Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to do it for you. He says, come to me so I can. But Sardis had a choice. See, you and I have a choice with commands. We can either heed the word of God. That's why he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches in verse 6. Or we can stick our head back in the sand. And we can continue. So how do you follow the choice? Notice he says there in verse 3. Remember what you have received and heard. The way Sardis was able to make a choice was they had to remember. What were they supposed to remember? The grace of God. What did they receive? The grace of God yielding, leading to salvation. What had they heard? The grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sardis had to remember what the gospel was actually about. Sardis had to remember what the call of the gospel was actually for. Sardis had to remember that it wasn't about them, but it was about Jesus Christ. The one that they had received in the gospel. Church, if we are going to be a church that is alive, if we're going to be a church that is known for being live and vibrant, it's going to come with the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only do they have to remember, he says, remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Openly confess. We've got to keep the gospel central. That means that we are walking in a pattern of repentance, but we've got to openly confess what it is that we believe. See, I'm convinced that the reason Sardis was in the position that they were in, this active community that wasn't really alive, was because the gospel wasn't part of what they were doing. He's like, well, how, how do you get to that? Notice with me, if you will, Jesus in his promise to them says, He, verse 5, who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before the Father. You're like, well, okay, what does that mean? Over in the book of Matthew chapter 10, write these down in the margin there. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says these words. He says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. But if you confess my name before men, then I will confess you before my father. 
Notice what Jesus is doing here. There is no mention of persecution in Sardis. Man, the cycle has been, you are under heavy persecution. You are, you are holding on to your faith because you are being chastised for my name. Sardis wasn't making the name of Jesus known, so they weren't being persecuted and they were at risk of losing everything because the gospel wasn't central, because professing Christ was not central. They had forgotten what they received and so they just kind of blended in around them just mindlessly going through the motions and Jesus says to them remember what you've received he says to them keep it and repent you and I cannot repent without a confession of the name of Christ Jesus We, we can vow to change our ways. We can talk about building, being a better person. We can talk about uh, building, building a, 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 a system of accountability one to another. But we don't repent until we come to Christ Jesus and say, this is against you, Lord, and I change by the name of Christ Jesus to something else. That's the repentance. He says, keep it. Here's the gospel. Here's the grace. Keep it, repent, walk in it. Keep it, repent, walk in it. Keep it, repent, walk in it. But it puts the name of Christ Jesus central. And then he gives them a warning. Therefore, if you do not wake up. So there's a warning. We've got to be warned. He's about to rebuke the church. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. When I was a teenager, when I say teenager, I mean like 13, 14 had a good friend. His grandparents lived next door. We used to steal some of his grandmother's cigarettes. Virginia Slims, the most manly cigarette out there, right? I mean, those things were smaller than a toothpick. We would, we would pilfer some of her cigarettes and we had a special hiding place. And we'd get together and we'd smoke these cigarettes because we thought we were being cool. Until the day that I left one in my pocket and my mom found it. Now here's the thing about my mom. Normally, normally my mom would have busted into my room and busted my chops over having this cigarette in my pocket. But, but what mom did was she waited to watch me because she wanted to figure out where did this come from? What influence is out there? What's going on? Till a couple of days later, my friend's at his grandmother's house and we had our little 
special spot we would meet. He and I would meet to smoke our Virginia Slims. (laughs) And I didn't know that my mom knew what was going on that she was about to come. So I didn't receive a warning. His grandfather was in construction and he had this flatbed construction trailer and that's where we would meet. It kind of was behind some red tip bushes back behind the house where I lived and behind where his grandfather's house was and it wasn't visible. You couldn't see the trailer from my house or from his grandfather's house. And so we thought we were hidden. We thought we were gonna be able to just do what we had been doing all along and no one would know until my mom comes in as I'm lighting it up and she says, what are you doing? I was not in a good mood that afternoon. (laughs) How much worse. When Jesus has given his church a warning. And Jesus has said, remember why I came. Remember what I did. Remember what you've received. Hold that. Confess my name. But if not, I'm coming. And when I get there. You're going to wish it was just a Virginia Slim. Why? Because Jesus offers Sardis an eternal reputation. Notice he goes on a little bit. He says, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. See, in the book of life will be written down the names of the followers of Christ, the true followers of Christ, not the ones that made some sort of statement but did not actually believe, not the ones that lived some sort of a good life but did not actually believe, the ones that professed faith in Christ Jesus, held on to him, those that were redeemed and those that will know that he is God and king forever. It comes up in the book of Revelation chapter 20. We see this Lamb's book of life that is open. And Jesus says, if you are mine, if you are walking with me, if you are in me, then I am not going to erase your name. That is a name that will stick forever. It's a matter of reputation, right? See, Sardis was... Nice little church in a nice little town doing some nice little things. But they were in a real danger because by their works, by their deeds, by what was going on in their church, they were demonstrating that they actually were not part of Christ. Which is why Christ says, and I will confess his name before my father. Such a hard, hard statement. Because when Christ Jesus confesses your name before the Father, that is establishing a reputation that will last for eternity because you have an eternal place with him in heaven for all time. See, if you go to Tifton today and you start asking people about Jin Jin Chinese food, if they've only been in Tifton for 15 years, they're not going to know what Jin Jin Chinese food number one over on Love Avenue is all about. They're just not. There are, there are establishments in Fairburn that if I started asking those of you that have been in Fairburn for more than 20 years, you'll say, yeah, I know, you can tell me a story about it. But some of you that have only been here for a, you know, a year, two years, five years, like I don't know what you're talking about. Because reputations in this life do not last. Maybe a generation, maybe two. 
But what Jesus offers lasts forever. A name that will never be erased in the annals of heaven. A name that will, that will be given, that will give you access to the throne room of God because of him forever. So Sardis was a dead church. How'd they die? How did Sardis die? How do churches die? See, it's, it's no secret that churches die each and every week. And, and the unfortunate thing about churches dying is a lot of us would look at it as when a church closes, that's when it died. But a church closes because it has been dead for some long period of time. They've just continued to inhabit the same space, although what made them a church passed. I've got five things here that I want to share with you. And these are kind of condensed. A few years ago, uh, Tom Rainer, when he was still president of Lifeway, uh, wrote a little book. Some of, you've, some of you have read this book, I know. Um, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Um, one of the things Rainer has done is he's, he's also done some church consulting and everything. And he um, went to several churches that closed and just asked, started asking questions, what went wrong? Now, Rainer being a detail-oriented researcher gives you 12 in his book. I want to condense them down to five because I think that you, can, that you can put these things. And I think this is all that's true that's happening in Sardis. Because ultimately... A church must come to the understanding in reality that the next generation could be the generation that we lose. And when we lose the next generation, the handwriting is on the wall that we ourselves will pass. Our church has been here for nearly 200 years because our church has been faithful in being able to reach the next generation. And so we will continue but let's start looking at some of these. The first one is sleeping on the community around us. Sleeping on the community around us, or we could phrase it this way, becoming attached to our ways of doing church instead of asking the Lord what we should be doing. See, you're like, how does that, what does that mean sleeping around on the church? See, Jesus commands them to wake up, to get with the program, to see what's actually happening. And one of the beautiful things about our church is, by and large, we've not fallen asleep on the community around us. We see so much of our community reflected. And I made the commitment when I came here as pastor nearly three years ago that, that and I, I, every, every, uh, every, every chance I get, I try to reinfuse this to our staff, that our church needs to look more and more like our community. We've got to reach far and beyond into our community. But sometimes it's easy for us to get so inoculated to the community because we've been so insulated, <coughs> excuse me, insulated within our church that we forget what's going on in the community. Now the flip side of that in Sardis is you get so ingrained in community that you don't want to ripple of community, so you just become another community group instead of the church. See, sleeping on the community means that you're sleeping on how the gospel will change and transform your community. Second way is forgetting our purpose. 
You notice what's happened in Sardis? They've got deeds. They've got works. They've got all this stuff. But they forgot you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't work your way into the kingdom of God. You don't get that promotion. God's not looking at you with a weight of scales and balances. Like if you just do enough good stuff, you'll be all right. See, our purpose is to be the authentic representation of what God's kingdom is about. Justice, peace, mercy, but ultimately the forgiveness of sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Our purpose is uniquely oriented towards what the gospel has done for us. So we end up going through the motions because we forgot our purpose. Or we stop asking what we should be doing because it might require too much change or too much shifting or too much money. The reality is there is a cost associated with being able to reach far and wide to invest in our community. And that cost might be financial, but it also might be with a program or a ministry or something that we've enjoyed for a time, but doesn't actually communicate well. See, our purpose is not to uphold programs. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel, the good news, that God loves us and God wants to save us. Sometimes we allow apathy to cloud missions. See, this one is probably one that creeps in without us knowing. Because we want to think of apathy as absolute carelessness. But ultimately what happens with apathy clouding missions is it becomes a, well, it's not my responsibility. I'll let somebody else do it. See, as a church, we are all part of this together. So it's all of our responsibilities. It's for all of us to do. It's not that somebody else can handle the Sunday school and somebody else can handle the students and somebody else can handle the nursery and somebody else can handle this and somebody else can be the one that, that tells others about God. It's about all of us coming to see what we're supposed to do. We might do it in different ways, but it's an active participation for all of us to reach our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. All of us, regardless of age, regardless of health, Regardless of wealth, regardless of educational status, regardless of whether or not you were born in America, because we all have opportunity to reach people around us. Sometimes preferences become king. The way we want to do it, the way it's always been done, how it was done in the good old days. I don't know if Sardis had any good old days or not. But here's what I do know about Sardis. Jesus comes to them and he has to ask them to remember something. 
And it wasn't the way it was done back then. It was remember what was actually done for you. So you might prefer to not step on anybody's toes. You might prefer to put the name of Jesus on the back burner. But I am going to tell you that your preference has stuff because we all prefer to be liked, right? Does anybody prefer to be hated? Nobody? Right. You know, my preferences change each and every day. Sometimes a couple of times during the day. That's the thing about preferences. They're fleeting, right? In general, I prefer Taco Bell or Crystal. I just do. I prefer them. But sometimes I'm not in the mood for Taco Bell or Crystal. Sometimes I want, you know, pizza. Sometimes I want barbecue. You know, in general, I prefer like good Georgia sauce for like, you know, barbecue sauce, right? When, when I moved to Raleigh for seminary, all they had was like this brown water with pepper flakes in it. It was like, it was like, like said it was vinegar based, Carolina style barbecue. I didn't call it barbecue. I just called it pork. Because to me, if it didn't have that thick, nice red sauce, but sometimes I like a mustard based sauce. You're going to eat barbecue today, aren't you? Preferences change. The gospel does not. And probably the hardest one is that our ears get plugged. Notice what he says in verse six. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. This is symbolic of prayerlessness. How do you know what the Holy Spirit is leading you and saying to you unless you are spending time learning his voice in prayer? And when I say prayer, I'm not talking about an info dump of all your problems and all your needs and all your health concerns and those around you. I'm talking about spending time in his presence, letting him speak to you. See, prayer is more about listening than it is about you speaking. And this church was not having the ear to hear because they were not spending time at the throne of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was a prayerless church. Their ears were plugged because they were in an echo chamber of we've got to have more of this and more of this and more of this and not we've got to let the Spirit of God do his business here. A church will die the day a church decides that prayer is not important. Because you plug your ears. So let me ask you a question. Does my church have the wrong reputation? Does my church have the wrong reputation? I've already told you that this passage for me as a pastor is one that I've got to stop and, 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 and ruminate over time and time again. Because Sardis thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were good. But Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not. Several years ago, 
1999, I believe it was, there was a movie with Bruce Willis that came out called The Sixth Sense. In The Sixth Sense, you've got the main character um, who is, who is a, he's, he's, a, he's a doctor, he's a dad, um, and his son is like six years old, seven years old in the movie. And, and so he has an intruder, it's one of the Wahlbergs, I don't remember which one, but it's an intruder that was a, a patient of his, he was a, a, a mentally ill patient of his. And, and he's holding um, a pistol to his head because he thought that the doctor had messed him up instead of shooting himself he turns and shoots Bruce Willis's character and Bruce Willis is laying there on the bed with a gunshot wound to the chest but then the movie continues and he's walking along with his son he's going through life everywhere and his son continues to tell him I see dead people and Bruce Willis is in his psychological psychiatrist uh, mode of trying to figure out what's going on with his son and his son seeing different uh, forms of dead people all around and all of these things are going on and at the end of the movie Bruce Willis realizes because he thought that he was losing his wife that he's the dead person. He'd been shot that night and he continued on thinking he was alive but He'd been dead the whole time. First, that doesn't really happen in real life. That's a movie. But second, some of us have to ask the question, does my church have the wrong reputation? So let's just ask some diagnostic questions for just a moment. How committed am I to the gospel? And I'm not talking about how committed is our church, the institutional, the structure of the church? Our Sunday Bible studies always have a gospel-oriented part to the lesson, every single one of them. The, the gospel remains central when we have, whether I'm preaching or Pastor Darius is preaching or in our midweek, it, it all comes, I'm, I'm talking individually. Because the church is not the organization, the church is not the structure, the church is us, people. Jesus doesn't inhabit wood and bricks and pews. Jesus inhabits us. So how committed am I personally to the gospel, to the good news? I'm not asking you to believe that Jesus is the Savior. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm asking, is that central to your life? Or is it just kind of over here as just one other thing? Because like right now I'm standing to you, I'm, I'm talking to you, I'm your pastor, but at the same time I'm also a dad, I'm also a husband, I'm also a son, I'm also a brother, I'm also an uncle, I'm also a nephew. So are you all of these things and also the gospels over here or are you committed to the gospel? Because if we're not committed to the gospel, that's what Jesus says, remember what you have, remember what you've heard and received and keep it, commit yourself to it. What purpose do our gatherings serve? And I'm not just talking about 11 o'clock Sunday morning. I'm talking about your Sunday Bible study. I'm talking about midweek. If you're part of Common Ground on Thursday nights. If you're part of our men's Bible study. If you're part of one of our WOM groups. What purpose do they serve? 
are they are they helping others come to a fuller, more robust understanding of the gospel? Are they helping our community be shifted and transitioned into an understanding that Christ Jesus is the King? Is there an open confession of the name of Christ throughout what we are doing and how we are doing it? Or are we just another community organization? Do we need to change our uh, 501c3 not-for-profit organization status from religious organization to community help. What purpose is served by us being together? Does the Holy Spirit have authority? See, Jesus comes to them and says, be made awake, be awakened, and strengthen what you have. There's, there's a choice there. And it comes down to, if you've got the ear, let it hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. And so we put these two verses together and we have to look at it. And we have to ask ourselves a question. It's not a matter of, did I hear it? Am I going to do what he's asked me to do? That, that's the hard part, is, is the acquiescence. The, the stepping back and saying, you know what? Not my will, but yours, Father. Not, not what I want, but what you have asked me to do. Are we willing to ask the tough questions of what does God have for us? And that starts in your home. It starts in my home as we come together. And so the last question we ask is, am I sleepwalking? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just getting together on Sunday morning because we're supposed to at Sunday morning? Are we just doing events, mission trips, camps, VBS, just because you know, that's what churches do, that's what we're supposed to do? I'm asking these questions because there is a real, real, real need in our world. It's the same need that's in my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ to fill and to infuse and to transform. This church does not transform anyone. The gospel does. And Jesus uses the gospel to transform us individually so that as a church, we can be a transforming power in our community because of him, because of what he has done. But if we're sleepwalking, we miss all of it. If we're just going through the motions, then we are not impacting culture with the cross because the cross is the impact that will change all of us. But it starts with you today. Have you trusted this Jesus? Have, have, you, have you come to grips that he is the only savior? He is the only Messiah. He is the only hope. He's not one of many. He is it. The Son of God, with the fullness of the Spirit of God, says this to the churches. If you have an ear, please hear.